I decided to do this user's guide to reincarnation in part because of the common phrase people often say, which is, I didn't sign up for this. Well, I usually say right back, well, I think you maybe did, <laughs> at least in part, what you didn't directly sign up for is a result of choices that we've made, right? So going from this place, to me, I've always been fascinated with reincarnation for the last almost 40 years now, and I've had a number of experiences uh, myself, and I'm going to share just a couple of those anecdotal things to illustrate points, but to me, this really matters. Now, the reality is that the bulk of the planet's population uh, does believe in reincarnation, certainly the Eastern traditions and um, certainly in India, the ancient traditions of India. So these are very large populations of people that have kept the tradition alive and the understanding of reincarnation. And it serves a real purpose. Even in the United States, I've read that the latest accounts are roughly a third, 33% of Americans also are now comfortable with the notion of reincarnation. Yet it's not something that we talk about publicly that much which I find interesting because when you're looking at the whole of life, of how we've arrived where we are um, and, and how we feel about and interact with one another, even where whole cultures of people and, and countries and governments, how they evolve and such and how we may have fit into those, those developments in the past, all of this matters to me because it gives us a much longer and larger arc to why life is the way it is here on planet Earth and here with us individually. And in my own life, I've had the um, I've had the benefit of having been uh, the subject of hypnosis quite a bit in the past with a, with a master hypnotist who was very curious about. Um, other times, other cultures, and history, and would use me as one of the subjects to delve into past lives. Now, I have to say that initially, some of it was so wild, especially going back into lost continents, such, a, such as life on Lemuria, for example, that I actually thought I was making it up, which is very common if you start going into past lives, you'll think it's your imagination at work. But what happened along the way was a lot of cross-validation, even in the wildest uh, cases out of Lemuria or Atlantis, for example. Uh, and in one, in one case, after I got done explaining this in incredible experience of uh, leaving my body and, and climbing into the body of a massive ancient bird. Of course, I thought it was my imagination when I came back. And he kept saying, just report what you're seeing and experiencing. He went and he found another audio tape uh, from another person that was one of the, his hypnosis clients that was utilized in this way. And she had described the exact same thing. So fairly early on, I learned that to just kind of put it all out there and let life and circumstance over time and research, you know, and other people's experience that you're, you can line up with over time, start putting together the complex portrait of our history as human beings. So let's, I'm going to go now into the more individual part of it because each of us can start finding hints about who we've been, uh, where we've been, what we've learned, what we haven't learned and such. Um, by hints within our own ability to feel, to be excited, to have desire, and so forth. I'll get to that in a little bit. But just to look at kind of how we can learn this together, which I find fascinating. When my son was uh, about just under four years old, uh, there was a time we were in the living room when uh, early evening together, and he was just fooling around, playing with the cushions on the sofa. And I was uncharacteristically having a glass of wine and contemplating. I, I don't generally drink alcohol much at all, no less alone. But this day, I was having a glass of wine, thinking about things. I was newly divorced in our new place with my little son. We, we had a split custody arrangement and shared him and made it very easy for him because it was amenable. And I just felt like I wasn't very, being very connected and playful with my son. And I said to him, honey, there are times when I don't feel I'm much fun for you to play with. And I feel badly about that because there was another time when I just didn't treat you all that well. And I'm so sorry for not being that much fun tonight. To that, my son said, mom, don't worry about it. We all do it sometimes. 
and I thought, and he had a little, he had swollen adenoids, you know, so he had a little bit of sinusy thing going on like that. And so he's explaining to me, I said, well, what are you talking about, honey? And he said, well, I did it to you too. And he's just building his pillow fort while he's talking to me. I said, you did what to me? He said, there was a time when I wasn't very nice to you. And I said, oh, when did that happen? Oh, a long time ago. Do you know where that happened? He said, a place called England. And uh, he said, we lived in a little brick house. <laughs> and he told me what he was wearing. And I thought that was interesting. He was not an early reader. Um, he was dyslexic. So he didn't know a lot about geography and other countries. This was just popping up. I said, well, sweetie, where did you, where, where did you see this? He says, oh, I was taking a nap at Busy Bee Nursery School one day. I was supposed to be taking a nap and I didn't take a nap and I closed my eyes and, and instead I, this is what I saw. So he's basically living in another, into another time when he's supposed to be taking a nap at his nursery school, right? He went on to explain to me, I, I said, okay, what, what happened back then? Why were you not very nice? He said, oh, the mommy died, meaning his wife. The mommy died and I had these kids and I was really sad and angry and you're the biggest kid, so I used to beat you up. And I thought, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. So he he just was very unselfconscious. The whole time he was just building his, still building his pillow fort. So I didn't press him any further on it. I said, yeah, I see what you're saying. I guess we all do it because we're unhappy and things at different times, right? Well, then I flashed back to a reading I had had from my trusted guidance guides, who many of you have heard me talk about, um, that had spoken about my relationship with my son from another lifetime coming from my place. And this wasn't the one he was speaking of, where I was the mother. We t it seems that we traded off uh, as mother and son, you know, as parent and child. And they said I was overburdened, poor, had way too many children. He was the last of the brood, and I had given him no attention. I paid no attention to him, essentially leaving it to his siblings and other people to take care for him and raise him. And it was really a matter of uh, utter neglect and that I had come and we had come together in this time to do everything we could to have a good life and to give him the best of what I possibly could. Um, that's what my soul wanted to do to reverse the, what I had done in the past. So uh, then I started thinking chicken or egg. Both of us seem to have had a similar situation as the parent of the other and other times. And what did end up uh, occurring in this lifetime was an incredibly deep kind of appreciation um, and kindness and care for one another that was really just extraordinary. And so many times I flash back on the neglect we had experienced and how and conscious knowledge of that for both of us and a deep desire to completely show up and bring love and generosity and care to the table. So this is just one situation, one small anecdotal situation in which the knowledge I think does matter because we all go through periods of frustration in life or distraction or whatnot. But I think to keep in mind always the higher goal is important. So that's one. And, and as a child myself, I had flashbacks and remembrances of other lifetimes. And my first transcendental meditation, very first meditation, doing TM, I flashed back into another life. Um, at the time, I didn't know that's what it was. I was quite a bit younger. Turns out it was of an Indian woman hurling herself off of a, a very a cliff in a very dry, uh, arid climate in her red wedding, sorry, uh, hurling herself off and tumbling to her own death. And so I, it took years of discovering bits and pieces and also history and connections through Indian friends to be able to piece together what had likely happened in that lifetime. And so for me, this is a great sleuthing adventure to look into who have we been, what have we learned, where have we incurred some Im imbalance, incurred imbalance, often would be called karmic debt, for example. And then what is required for us to put things back into harmony and balance again. So we do that by having endless opportunity.
And there is a certain justness and beauty to that. Some people think of reincarnation and think, oftentimes the same ones that say, I didn't sign up for this, as an absolutely and utterly exhausting prospect. I don't see it that way as all, at all. I mean, it, it's life. And we have ample opportunity to learn everything that we would enjoy learning, everything that we need to learn. So I wanted to talk about some of the nuances. And again, my education is from many different sources. Uh, I already mentioned the guides I had that gave me vast amounts of information and knowledge uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, now almost 40 years ago, um, over a long period of time where I could ask a lot of questions. Um, they had given others knowledge as well. That's one source. Um, I'm also a many, many year student of the Hermetics. For example, I've read thousands of books and interviewed well over a thousand individuals. And so I'm coming from a point of view that is a collective of everything that I have either directly experienced, ha ha been shared with, or have read and have seen certain congruencies where it creates a portrait that seems to me to make sense. And so some of this is not often heard information because uh, one of the areas I'll be talking about is genetics and our DNA and the implication of DNA in our incarnation patterns. So first off, ample opportunity. If we're out of balance on any level, we can go back into balance. What's the point of the whole thing though? Why do it? Why bother? Well, according to Amit Goswami in Physics of the Soul, you may have first encountered him in the, what, the Bleak movie. Um, he, he is stating in his work from his collective of knowledge that very little is affected in that in-between state. When we are not incarnating, we're in more or less a holding pattern. Now, there are some schools of thought that we go and we, we do evaluate our life. Uh, that seems to be pretty consistent around the world as once we leave the body at the point of physical death, we go into a pattern of rest, of reflection, of evaluation of what we've been up to, and, and then maybe even some pleasurable learning on the other planes between life. Now, in the hermetic sense, um, that that under that path of knowledge would say that in between incarnations, the vast majority of human beings go on the path of the moon. So the moon and the relationship with the moon is where we're in our holding patterns, according to the Hermetics, between incarnations. When we're free of earthly incarnation cycles, then we can move over to the path to the sun, in which case it's not necessary to continue incarnating, but it is an option to be able to come back, bring uh, refined knowledge, and help humanity. So the, that's the hermetic understanding of it. There are other schools of thought that are similar to this in terms of where we go between our incarnations. There are other kind of specialized um, uh, strains of information and knowledge for people who aren't really the normal earthling where you go into a place alone kind of in a holding pattern and this this is included in the hermetic teachings that if you've already been if you're one of those who has worked your way through to or come from uh, the relationship your relationship with the sun uh, the followers of sun followers of horus path to the sun uh the sun chill children of the sun that group which is normally has a, a wide enough and an advanced enough emotional and knowledge base that they're only incarnating as a result of choice to be of service to humanity they go into a completely different holding pattern being between incarnations don't necessarily hook up and go to the lovely, you know, universities in the realms in between. They're more in a holding pattern until it's time to come back, just kind of protected for a little while. So the what happens in between uh, is is of interest, I think. Um, you know, more on, I, I, for me, it's more academic about where we go in between. I'm more interested in what happens once we make the decision to come back. But Life Between Lives, that's a book you could read uh, that could be quite interesting. So 
once we've left, we go on our little path to the moon, say, and we've done our evaluation. Uh, there are others on the other side. We all have those who are our guiding forces. And then, of course, we have our own soul, our beautiful, pristine essence. And all of this becomes involved in the process of making a decision to come back. Now, I'm going to share another little story because at the time I found it interesting and surprising and I always like anecdotes I learned by them well and this was uh, when I brought a friend over to the guides I've spoken to you about before uh, there was a woman who channeled them and was a very very clear channel and you could whoever came over could speak to them and ask about their, they really like talking about the soul and the soul destiny and soul choices they weren't interested in your your day-to-day -day life and particularly interested in what you were going to do for a living or money. They wanted to talk to people about the essence of their soul development, which you will also hear me talk about. Um, and she was saying, uh, yeah, I'm really, uh, can you tell me about, she was pregnant uh, early on, about three months in. And she said, yes, well, can you tell me anything about the, uh, you know, the person that's going to be my child? And they said, well, this has not yet been decided. Um, and she said, oh, and they said, yes, there's something else that must first be decided before this other one can make their decision. And I'm sitting in the back of the room listening, thinking, what are they talking about? I had no clue. And so she said, okay, well, depending on that decision, can you tell me about the entity? And they said, yes, this is a very sunny entity a very um, large presence that is that brings a lot of light and is also very demanding, will be very challenging and frustrating for you, but will be the sunshine and the glue that will literally knit your whole family together. And so afterward, this person revealed to me that this reading, the reason they had said that is she was considering having an abortion. She was told also during this session, this child has another family that's available. You are the first choice, but it's okay. They do have another option available to them. So this was several months before birth already. All these things were being arranged, evaluated, and so forth as to where this entity, which body and family this entity was going to incarnate through. So this woman then later stated to me, she said, I was considering having an abortion, but as a result of this reading, she said, she was crying. She said, I'm not going to, I want to know who this wonderful being is. And that being went on to be very challenging, larger than life personality, absolute sunshine, and the one that glued the family together. So it was exactly as was stated. And so here I'm just giving an example of how these things are worked through intelligently between incarnations on the other side in the other realm. Uh, so now let's look at how, what, how those decisions are made. So in this case, she was choosing a very specific path for her needs in life, which she wanted to have met. But it also has to do with the needs and the learning of the family members. So the woman who gave birth to her was someone who needed to learn more about nurturing and patience. And having this incredible entity in her life was going to draw upon all of those things. And in fact, through the years, she said, I think I would have drowned her by now if I didn't know what a lovely entity she was and how it's all going to work out fine in the long run. And so and I understood her frustration. This is a very demanding little girl, right? So... Uh, in this case, she chose her family for purpose. While she was in this channeling, um, she also asked about her son, who at this time was a few years old. Um, I believe he was about five years old. And they said, she said, he doesn't feel like us. He, he just, I don't know, it's, we don't understand him. He said, that's because he's never been with you and he's not part of you. He's just passing through. Um, this is an unfamiliar entity to you and your husband. He's passing through because you offer the kind of lifestyle, education, and opportunity that he needs to fulfill his goals as an adult. And he, it was a very nice existence, you know, in private schools, multilingual, very, very uh, intellectual and heady, which he absolutely adored. 
um, reading books on thoracic surgery by the age of 12. And his parents were very intellectual. So he chose an environment, basically a greased path is to slide in on so that he could accomplish his later life uh, life goals, which in one in, uh, of which is be, as an author and as a critic and reviewer. So that intellectual path really served him through that family. But he always remained kind of an outsider. They just he, they just didn't understand him on a psycho spiritual or emotional level. So there's another way people come in, and that takes us to the notion of the larger patterns of incarnation. And this one I think has some challenging points to it. But we're going to go there anyway. It was explained to me at one point, and I had to feel my way through it, look at my own past incarnations and the work of other people, um, uh, the work of Carol Bowman, which is uh, children's past lives. I put all of this into the hopper together and really considered it, and it made a lot of sense. And that is you follow d DNA patterns. We've often heard that you follow soul, soul group. We're here as a soul group, and we tend to hang together, learn together, incarnate together. Well, this is true down to the level of family as well and DNA patterns. And as I was speaking uh, to this, this source about why this was beneficial, they were explaining that when you come back into your DNA pool, into uh, your family bloodline, that there are many things that are happening at once, that, and some of them are quite obvious, which is wherever you left off in your life's learning lessons, your process of refinement, by coming back into the same gene pool or into the same family, the same region, the same country, the same culture, is that there's very little resistance to a lot of the learning. You're kind of coming in with familiar smells and tastes, even f people that seem familiar to you and may be familiar to you from other lifetimes. Souls that are familiar to you, you instantly feel comfortable with uh, once you're in the company of them again. And that the, the level of learning that happens there can be of a swifter and more refined nature if you're working on some very specific things. And so that makes sense. That just makes sense. It's, it reduces resistance. They said, what happens at other times where a person has decided to take on a big leap in learning is oftentimes they'll jump gene pools altogether. Say they'll jump all the way from being, uh, saying uh, commonly they've been incarnating into a Northern European bloodline, for example, um, it with, along with similar characters, similar souls that keep popping up throughout their historical lineage as a soul. And they decide they've learned what they can, they're done with that learning, uh, maybe they feel bored or complete, um, and so they'll make a huge leap and maybe jump into a culture in Asia and say, I want, I want to see what this is like. I'll, I want to try this one on and learn some of the thinking that benefits those societies and individuals in their own uh, process of soul development and refinement. So they'll make a leap over. And I, the level of permissions that have to happen between the mother, for example, or between the family, the soul group in this individual is very complex. But let's just say this does happen. You make, doesn't happen that often, by the way. You make this leap and now you're in a pool where nothing is familiar. They said that oftentimes in this situation where it sounded like a good idea at the time, in reality, when they got there, there was nothing that was familiar. It was just such a, a distracting and discordant situation for that soul to not have familiar smells, familiar foods, uh, familiar emotional reactions or faces or souls around them that oftentimes these people will choose to leave at a very tender age. Sometimes they don't make it past days or, or weeks or even months. Uh, they say, made a, made a mistake, got to go, and a check out of the body. You know, this, this adds a whole other layer to subjects such as sudden, sudden uh, infant death syndrome, right? 
where an entity simply changes its mind, its mind and withdraws. This does happen. Um, so this is kind of tragic because this little vehicle, the hopes of the family to have a baby and the vehicle itself has now passed away. It takes a while to grow a new one, but um, you know, there's something to learn there and the soul will often return to something a little more familiar. Now let's take a more nuanced path to that because that's where we're headed now. And I find it wonderful and interesting. And that is as people throughout history and war, has been one of the greatest factors in this, which has placed people of one culture into the area of another culture. Um, and for bad, for good or whatever, when it comes to just genetic patterns, war has placed people in each other's territory, invaders. Um, uh, raping and pillaging has created new bloodlines. Now what's happening is simply through choice, uh, through exposure, through travel, through curiosity about other places in the world. We're at a place in our development culturally where we can choose to go to other places um, and learn about other cultures, uh, live among other cultures. Um, this is beginning to bring in much more broad uh, genetic pools. So, for example, say you've done your thing, and I do know um, a particular person who's done this, and I know that they're done with their incarnations in their home country in Europe. I know this. I know a few people in this situation. They've kind of wrapped it up, and now they're looking to see what life in America, which is different. It has a different sense about it. You're, you are more free on a personal level, a psycho-spiritual, emotional level, to explore new things and explore doing things that your family may not be credentialed for, or educated for, your caste system may not allow for. You can consider those things and do that in the United States and, and other countries as well. But we're just using the U.S. as an example right now. They have wrapped up their incarnations in the other place, yet they're still very much, you know, reflective of that culture. They have come here because they followed a sibling here who married an American. Now, we're talking about essentially the same, the same race, you know, genetically, but culturally very, very different and completely different bloodline of Caucasians, okay? So those people, the, her, the sister that came over mated with an American, they laid down their genetics through their kids and their kids have had kids. It is highly likely the the person I'm talking about will come back and, and perhaps it would be very logical for them to come back and incarnate into the bloodline that their sister laid down because they really are more now growing into what is available by way of learning and experience in America. And it wouldn't be likely they would go back to the old soul pattern family in the European country. So here they have some DNA laid down with some of their old DNA mixed with some new DNA. This is happening everywhere. Look at all of the beautiful mixed race individuals on the planet. I mean, beautiful people, Eurasian, uh, mulatto, uh, every different iteration of some, a little bit of everything, you know, soup to nuts, the everything bagel, where you have maybe a little Samoan, a little African American, a little Asian, uh, and a little Caucasian all blended together. We just have the most beautiful people that we're giving birth to, but very mixed DNA. They've probably been following these DNA patterns where it's already mixed at one point. Now it's going to mix at another point. So it's becoming more comfortable for us to begin jumping into much more nuanced and expressive gene pools. I find that fascinating. And I remember reading some futuristic books back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s that talked about what the future of humanity looks like. Now, we, we, many people tend to be very sentimental, you know, especially when the world is changing so fast and it makes people nervous, you know, edgy, afraid, afraid of losing what's familiar and what's known. And this goes right down to our G DNA. It's, you know, certain people, cultures, races of people are like, I don't want you marrying into that other one. And that goes across the board always. Don't want you marrying one of the them, right? So this fear crosses all cultures that's not holding anymore <laughs> the kids are saying sorry i'm going to do what i want you know so this has led to 
the vision in all these futuristic uh, books. And this would be also included in um, the information given many years ago from the, the guidance uh, forces I was talking about earlier. That is, we are all evolving into a human species, not races. The races will eventually more or less go away. We will be a blended species. And in doing so, we have the advantage of the gifts of each of these previously distinct races, which I think is beautiful. When you have beings that more or less look alike, as happens on thousands, hundreds of thousands of other planets, you're a race of people with more in common than not. You're not struggling um, with the differences physically between us of being able to point fingers at one another, for example, and say, you're less than my group and you're, you know, you're less than that, or they think we're less than them. That all starts uh, essentially fading into a relic of the past. We're all human beings and we're, we are maybe not that slowly even evolving into a race of human beings. Yes, maybe we'll all have kind of tan or beige skin. Maybe we'll have kind of anywhere from blonde to dark brown hair. Maybe we'll have a higher percentage of beautiful almond-shaped eyes. I mean, look in all the magazines. I'll tell you right now what's interesting, and it's from a marketing point of view. When you start looking at fashion magazines, everything is blended. You won't find a kind of pure race anybody and part of it is because they want to be able to appeal to all demographics so they try to find a person that has a little bit of everything in their genetics and most of the models anymore certainly in fashion um, and other products as well are mixed race so there it's getting us it's it's not so much a manipulation to identify with the notion of mixed race which some people in conspiracy communities think that's what it is I don't happen to think that's what it is. I think what it is, is that's already happening. Everybody is buying stuff and consuming. So they're trying to appeal to the broadest demographic possible, which is someone with a little darker skin, you know, maybe some beautiful wavy dark brown hair and slightly almond shaped eyes. You kind of hit all the demographics there to make everyone comfortable consuming your product. This is just about money, in my opinion. So nonetheless, you're, you see more and more of this represented and reflected back at us. At the same time, you have a lot of people who are in fear saying, no, I want to be, keep, uh, you know, French people French. You know, uh, I want to keep, you know, Japanese people Japanese. We don't want to mate with you guys, right? Too late. Horses out of the barn. The game is afoot. We're already going into this nuanced genetic position on planet earth. And I say, good, you know, it's a good thing. We don't need to be fighting and pointing fingers uh, at each other any longer. So then you look at the the longer game. Well, what's this all about then anyway? Well, it's about, it's about soul refinement, soul development. And what does that even mean? It's, we, we listen to schools of thought where you to, for a soul to be able to develop to the point where they no longer need to incarnate, that we have to go through all of these rituals and practices and have all this knowledge. Because of the job I have and because I'm a naturally curious person, I do have a lot of knowledge. I have read a lot, but I don't kid myself into thinking that's getting me in anything like heaven. <laughs> Um, that's not the case. Soul development is a refinement of how we express ourselves and give ourselves to the world and give ourselves in generosity to one another, how we stop judging one another, really big one. In fact, my guides are really huge on this. They said, if you can do one thing as a people that's going to bring you along faster than anything is it to simply stop judging one another. You do not know what that soul has been through. They may be behaving in a way that you find reprehensible, repugnant, atrocious, but it's actually a huge step up from where they've been before. They may have placed themselves in this particular challenging situation to learn to master this thing that they're finding such a challenge that their behavior is so horrible over. So they said, just one thing, just 
drop judgment of one another. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. You do not know where another soul has come from. None of you. And you can look at the raving um, person on the street, you know, yelling at invisible forces, filthy, dirty, living a homeless life. They, I remember them saying one day, that may be the most elevated being among you. They've come to learn what it's like to cut free from society, all things known, live at the women generosity of a system or other human beings with no real kind of external power, just what they contain within. They may be hearing other beings that they're talking to. They may have become so frustrated with it, they've taken themselves down with drugs and alcohol, but that doesn't dampen the brilliance of that soul. So never judge another human being. And that goes a long way toward your soul's refinement. So I thought truer words were never spoken. When I go into a heavily judgmental mode of someone or something, or you're just situational, um, I feel that kind of icky feeling inside, a lowering of my own frequencies. I know it when I'm doing it, and I have to, it's like some little part of me is getting a kick out of it, feeding some kind of emotion at that moment, but I also know I'm not doing myself any favors. It actually does start lowering your, your emotional field. Your, your, it starts lowering your frequencies. You know, your aura is nothing but frequencies, mental, emotional, causal, many different frequencies. And all you're doing by throwing negative information, judgment, and so forth in it is lowering that frequency range. You don't want to do that. We don't want to leave uh, on a lesser note than we came in on when it comes to vibrations. That's the one thing worth protecting. So through altruism, through care, through self-love. Many people have come here just to learn how to love themselves and give to themselves. Many, many people, they haven't had that capacity for a long time because they've been in systems that demand subservience and duty. Well, that's not self-love. So many of us are here just to learn self-love. Others of us are here to learn to give whatever unique talents and skills or even mundane talents and skills we have to others to give comfort, um, to be a lovely chef and bring beautiful food to the planet. That's a, a gift to build a home, to fix someone's you know, broken shower head or, or toilet or sink. These are wonderful gifts to bring forward into the world. They're things that make things function, make things fun function on a higher level, and they're all worthy skills. But most of all, besides not judging, the notion of opening our heart up to being willing to understand where another person is coming from, which leads to non-judgment in the end, I think that's a huge one. So we, we sit back and we can be more gracious with one another. This leads to, I think, probably the most lovely levels of refinement. To just be with one another, listen, give ourselves to, accept. A lot of people call that love. You know, love goes, <laughs> love is a, a lo such a heavily loaded word. I'm not using it because it sounds cliche. I'm using all the words that support it and the words around it. Once we go into that place and we really show up for each other with care and non-judgment, and we care even about those who may not, we may never know people who are struggling in unfortunate situations on another side of the world, when we can even, even open up our heart enough to care for these strangers, our soul has gone a long way in its development and refinement. And so then what happens? Well, according to most and everyone, every religion, you know, every sect, uh, every mystery school, uh, my guides, they all have their own take on that. But they seem to converge on this one place. And that is what I started the conversation with. Once these experiences and incarnation patterns are finished, we've come to this state of basic acceptance and grace and non-judgment where we've refined our frequencies. This is just a frequency game. You can go to any place that your frequencies can slot into. So if it's a place that's living uh, an incredibly sublime existence where there is no more hunger, no more fear, maybe even no more bodies to have to deal with, that's just a frequency thing. All you have to do is Elevate your frequencies, refine them to the point where you can slot in there and you are welcome. 
Okay, there's nothing stopping any of us from going anywhere. We are not stuck here on earth. You can incarnate anywhere you wish as long as your frequencies can buzz into it, okay? Now, as far as earth herself goes, so many people, so many guides, so many of those who have passed on to the other side have said, you just don't even realize how beautiful the place is until you can look at it from afar. You're on a planet that has such incredible opportunity for creativity, um, for exploration. It has the option to make choices. Many places you don't have free will per se. Okay, so we have this beautiful, stunningly beautiful place, environment with oceans and mountains and, and rivers and streams and flowers and trees, um, such beautiful natural world around us that not every place has. So we have that. We have free will. We have creativity. And they said, just be grateful for where you are, because in between, you're not doing much. You're not growing. You're not learning in between. So you're going to go somewhere. And many other places are not nearly as pleasant to learn in at this vibrational frequency level. So I think, first of all, we need to look around and appreciate the beauty of what is in life and the life we have. And there are times when life is too much and we do go into absolute despair. We've all been there. We all recognize it. And I want to read this to you because this is what happened to the famous Buckminster Fuller, the inventor and the futurist Buckminster Fuller, who people still, you know, essentially herald to this day. His invention, geodesic dome, affordable, solid housing. But there's a reason that happened. He wasn't always like that. He was actually living a life of poverty with two little children. And in Chicago, and he was in such despair because one of his little girls died. And he thought that she died because he was such an underperformer that he, his whole family was living in such poverty. They were living in this horrible drafty place in Chicago. And although the girl did have other underlying conditions, he felt that she ultimately died as a result of his neglect as a father and he wanted to kill himself which would have been such a terrible loss for this world. He was going to drown himself in Lake Michigan. And what happened when he contemplated this and was ready to take this action is this. He said that he experienced, a, I'm reading this directly, profound incident which would provide direction and purpose for his life. He felt as though he was suddenly suspended several feet above the ground, enclosed in a white sphere of light. And then a voice spoke directly to him. From now on, you need never await temporal attestation to your thought. You think the truth. You do not have the right to eliminate yourself. You do not belong to you. You belong to universe. Your significance will remain forever obscure to you, but you may assume that you are fulfilling your role if you apply yourself to converting your experiences to the highest advantage of others. Uh, isn't that beautiful? You don't belong to yourself. You belong to the universe. Truer words were never spoken. None of us belong to this one body and set of emotions that we're incarnated as at this time. We belong to the universe. And it is said that if an entity remains in despair and darkness for too long, associates too much into the lower, darker realms, that the frequency is lowered to such an extent that they can no longer continue incarnating here and perhaps anywhere, that the soul becomes extinguished. This is very, very rare. Such a dark circumstance has to overtake a soul to allow this to happen. And even though it seems like at times when we look around us, that's what's happening, no, this is temporary. We're in a state of great expansion, great, great change on this planet, which brings in great levels of fear of the unknown. So I say, let's just walk it back a notch. Let's understand there is no one who incarnated here that, that was forced to, okay? Incarnation is a choice. So when people say, hey, uh, I didn't sign up for this, wrong, you did sign up for this. We all signed up for it. You cannot take a soul and squish it 
into a body and have it survive. First of all, you can't do it. It's a soul. And secondly, if anyone tried and some, somehow could try to force a soul into a body, it probably wouldn't survive its first night. Boom, it would be out of there. It's not hard to make the heart stop ticking and leave this body. Anybody could do it, okay? Any soul could do it once they've made that decision. So, yes, we are all here by choice. Yes, we're all here in these huge extended family patterns and soul group patterns and cultural patterns to learn together. And yes, we're moving into a time as a group of souls, we're going to be more blended on every level. Our economies, our financial um, survival is already completely blended with each other. So this is going to continue. I say bring it on. It's beautiful. We're on a beautiful planet. We have free will. We have creativity. We can paint. We can dance. We can cook. We can make love. We can care for one another. We can love one another. We can cry. We can watch sad movies together and have a very turning emotional experience. This is a good life if we just don't disconnect from the things that matter, which is each other and ourselves. Self-love, love of one another, care for one another. All these things bring about refinement and development of the soul. And once that's done, we're free. We're free to stay or we're free to go. We can come back and we can help each other on this wonderfully challenging life journey here, uh, many lifetimes journey here on earth, um, as a result of working, as the hermetics call it, from the path of the sun, coming here by choice to help others along through their incarnation, uh, through their soul development and refinement. Or we can free ourselves and we can go somewhere else whatever suits our um, vibrational field at that time. No one's a slave and no one's stuck here. That's not true. Even right now, you don't have to, you don't have to progress one tiny bit. Once you leave this lifetime, you can go incarnate other places if you wish. Not incarnating at all and just hanging around in another realm of some kind probably isn't going to be a great option. There's no development, growth, or happiness, or experience, or anything, right? But you can go somewhere else. So you're not stuck here. We're all here by choice. We're all in this together. So, you know, to me, just keeping it simple, doing lovely little beautiful things at home and for one another, and then taking whatever extraordinary or mundane gifts that we have and doing the best we can at those things and sharing that with one another. Even if it's just being a great, great mom and or dad and caregiver to your kids, that that's like one of the best things we can do with a life in terms of refinement. All the way to looking at how people end up in situations like top positions of power, and we say, "Yikes! How'd this person end up in power?" All over the globe, all throughout history, we we tear out our hair saying, "How did they end up in power?" Well, they ended up in power because they learned how to become powerful. And I think this is something, another, in terms of judgment, we have to look at. People who are highly moneyed, for example, or in high positions of power, these people have practiced this over time. They may, may have chosen to incarnate into bloodlines where this was the advantage, where you could learn about acquiring power, acquiring money, and also having to deal with all of the subset of emotions and family dynamics that go with that, some of which can be really bitter and ugly. And you learn how to balance yourself a little, like how, how much money, how much power does one need um, in order to be happy versus how much does one lose in that situation to maintain happiness, right? So these are people who have practiced. And I remember one time asking about that about about uh, a president, this was Bush Jr. saying, asking, how does this serve? I mean, the, we already knew that there were no weapons of mass destruction. That was all a sham. It was a manipulation. We knew a lot about 9-11. And I was in despair over it and said, what is the deal? And they said, well, first of all, one thing to understand is matter of scale doesn't really count when it comes to soul development. 
when you have people who have learned to amass enough power and incarnate through bloodlines that have access to power and they can then thus climb their way into positions of prominence and power, that's been their soul path probably for a while. Once they're there and they begin making decisions, you need to understand they have every right to make stupid decisions and mistakes that everyone else has. It just, and I said, yes, but it has, it has a larger impact on so many people. And they said, would you deny yourself or have yourself denied of the right to make mistakes, to make bad decisions? They said, what's good for one is good for all. Whether you have no power or a lot of power, you make the decisions. You live with them. You have to balance them. But you have the right to make your decisions and to make your mistakes. It's no different for those in power versus those with seemingly no power. So just understand the acquisition of power and wealth is just another skill set, just such as being a fabulous baker or architectural designer or anything else. These are skill sets. So Buckminster Fuller went on to see view life from that moment on as one grand experiment. What with the tools he was given and the brain he was given, what could he contribute to the planet? And he played and he experimented and the whole buckyball C6 carbon 60 um, uh, was he was the one that discovered that and developed this well, molecular chain the geodesic dome he created that he created futuristic scenarios of what the earth can look like he created low-income housing that was sturdy so families such as his would never have to lose a child again to a draft in a musty drafty old house he did something with his life after he was told, this life is not yours. It is the universe's. Take everything that's within you and offer it out for the highest of all. I think that's the best advice um, for any single one of us on this planet. So I think I'll just leave it with that. If we can drop the judgment of one another, because we don't know what shoes we've walked in before. We don't know what shoes others have walked in before. Oh, oh no, one more thing before we go. If you don't want to dive down the rabbit hole and actually go into the study of past lives by being hypnotized and so forth, one way you can get hints about who you were is by your preferences, your desires, and your feelings. When you find yourself terrified of something, you've probably had an experience with it. I'm terrified of cliffs and I have fallen to my death. I learned later a number of times, you know, slow learner, <laughs> uh, playing near cliff edges and hurling myself in that one occasion. But so for me, I, I have a phobia about being near cliffs. And even and I decided to climb anyway and blacked out a couple of times. It was not good. So I learned, okay, there it is, staying away from him from now on. Um, when you have great attractions to something, this is probably something you've loved or been proficient at in the past. Often when you see you know, little children that come in, these prodigies that come in, they're just picking up where they left off. They're barely cold and they've come back in and they know how to play the pieces without even, barely even hearing them and they can play these pieces. And that's where your prodigies come from is often past life. So I just wanted to put that one little last bit in there. You can get, you can glean a lot about yourself if you pay close attention to your reactions, your feelings, your attractions and desires. You know that that's probably carried on and come from another time and has become part of the subconscious memory bank. So it all weaves together. I talked about that a little bit in a user's guide to the mind. So you might want to watch that if you haven't yet. So on that note, we're all here by choice. We're all here together. We live on a splendid planet, even if the times are challenging. If we can just not judge one another and kind of give our best, just put it out there, give our best, make life a little bit better for ourselves and someone else every day. I think we're in good shape. Meanwhile, thanks for joining me here on ReginaMeredith.com. <laughs>